Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall broadcast coming to you from WHK 1220, a Salem radio station. If you wish to call in and ask for clarification or to comment, please call 888-677-9673. Once again, that phone number is 888-677-9673. Please address me as T.A. for I am the teacher's assistant. And that phone number once again is 888-677-9673. The Writing is on the Wall is a program that is both non-religious and non-spiritual, an investigation of everything we concern that was created, recorded, and modeled for us in the Bible. Now, I say that each and every week that we start off, and I want you to understand, it's not just because I was a, an engineering student in college. It's because the religious aspect has led us away from what God was trying to teach us. And the reason he suggested that we not spend too much time on the spiritual end of things is because we don't have any tools to measure them by, and that is our job. Our job is to measure what is in the world, what we don't understand, listen to what he's told us, and to try and figure out where it is we need to go and why. And that's why I'm here. I usually start off by recapping what was discussed the week before, and I'll do that once again. But first, let's start off going over this historic pullback of our drive, our desire, and our socially ordered discourse for more than a year now due to the announcement of a pandemic. Personally, I thought our reaction to the introduction of a new flu virus was extreme. At the time, it seemed that the entire rationale was ridiculously fair, induced, and driven. And while that characterization may have been 100% accurate, fear may not have been 100% of the reason we did actually pull back, took a breath, and looked around us at what we were doing and what we had created. For many years now, there's been an increase in post-apocalyptic movies. These movies represent the spectrum of failure from human cause to natural, Of course, most of the natural is imbued to be that it was a result of human interference with natural paradigms. But it's still a spectrum of failure. Now, several of these post-apocalyptic movies were focused on a pandemic, which usually resulted in the formerly organized and orderly human societies devolving into crazed, cannibalistic humans that acted like animals, with no purpose and no eye towards a future, healthy or otherwise. Now, why would we come up with and tell each other these stories? Then halt our entire forward progress as a social order for a, quote, real-life, unquote, pandemic. What is our collective unconscious mind trying to tell us to recognize? Now, I realize that borders on the edge of the spiritual, and that's as close as we'll get is the edge. But we have to ask ourselves, why have we permitted our society to come practically to a dead stop? The answer to all those questions is recorded in the Bible, in fact. The Bible should be called the Book of Answers, and was created in order to inform us of this life-affirming or death-affirming juggernaut of a decision and to help us prepare to make that decision by knowing the consequences of our action or our inaction. We are in the last two minutes of the film Um, where we are searching the house for the bomb that is going to go off or the um, health facility or the reactor or 
whatever it is, we're searching. There's somewhere there's a bomb, and the bomb has a is ticking away the time, and everything is going to be destroyed unless we can find the bomb and take the initiator out. Well, that's pretty accurate, unfortunately. And the way we're, reason we're feeling that way is because we're under the gun. I'll explain that in just a bit. But God let us know in the Bible that we had free will and that he hoped we would choose life, but that we would need to view reality in such a way that we could make substantive structural decisions and we were not viewing reality that way. Our viewpoint was subjective. In other words, what does it mean for me, to me? How does it benefit me? Everything was at the end of our fingers. That's the decisions that we make. And that's a problem because whoever controls your inputs at that point controls you. So the substantive structural decisions that we need to make that would allow us to continue to build toward our adulthood is not a method that we had. The world, if you want to call it that, and we have, once the, we cross the line from headlong acceptance of the world choosing our march, marching orders, and begin to make decisions based on rational thought rather than emotion or desire is when we separate ourselves from the impending destruction of our society. But our brothers and sisters are carried inexecrably to destruction unless we can wake them up to the inevitable death that their acceptance of, quote, human visualized reality, unquote, will be key to them. Most of these aspects of the Bible that I mentioned are easily read and understood. They, they're printed right there. The fact that we have free will and can choose for humanity to die off for all eternity, if that's what we choose, or allow evil to choose for us, is recorded in Deuteronomy 30 along with God's hope that we choose to continue to live and discover the purpose for which we have been created. First, of course, we have to pass our own test. We have to quit killing ourselves. We have to straighten up and fly right. We have to choose the healthy way forward into adulthood. Now, this has been called morals and morality in the past, but that's not what it is. It's reality. It's not doing better or doing good. It's structuring things so that you can succeed. And they're totally different. Although the structural items sound good and they seem moral because they are, they're moral for a reason not just because you choose them or you like them or you even think that they're better for you. Those moral choices are there because they are structurally capable of moving you into the future. Next, God told us that we would need to think outside the box of our own subjective, human-delineated universe, subjective, which is entirely created and maintained by asking, how will this action or my lack of intervention benefit me? Read Genesis 3 and realize that Adam never repented. And we have continued to make decisions based on our own view of reality and what we think is good for us and for those who support what we believe to be true and good. Belief is all we have, 
for each other, and it is totally inadequate. Everybody has opinions, beliefs. None of that is worthwhile. Not for structuring life. If you like one hamburger place over another, or you prefer the way one person cuts your hair versus someone else, that's fine. That is subjective. That's supposed to be the area for subjective thoughts and discourse. But basing your life and the life of the future men and women that will have access to this planet is foolish to base it on what you think and what you feel, the so-called shifting sands of opinion. So we need to move from subjective to objective. Objective means that it is provable to be true and good. We have spent the last 6,000 plus years rejecting God's method for learning. Before our program started, I was listening to someone here on 1220, Pastor Jeffers, and he said the same thing. <clears throat> he didn't put it quite that way. And that's why hopefully my voice will be valuable to you. But he did say that thinking that something was true or feeling that it was true versus it being listed in the Bible as true and good, there's no comparison. If God promoted it to you to use in an objective manner, to build a life on and to build human civilization on, then that wins the award. And what you piecemeal accept or think or, hey, that sounds good, I think I'll try that, is unfortunately not steady enough to build a civilization on. We spent the last 6,000 years rejecting God's method for learning the objective method while using the subjective method taught to Eve by evil. God's method is called objectivity and it's based on reality rather than perception. God informs us in Genesis 3 that the subjective method for decision-making taught to us by evil can only lead to death and destruction for the entire human race. The snake mocked Eve. Oh, surely God didn't say that you would die if you ate from this fruit. Teased her. Tried to get her to reject she went one better, though, unfortunately, and said, not only are we not supposed to eat it, we're not even supposed to touch it, which, of course, God did not say. But that is the way he tricked her into trying it, into testing it, and then furthermore into passing it on to Adam. And when Adam ate, and they were escorted out of the garden and not allowed to re-enter. Adam did not repent. He did not say, God, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Please show me the right way. I did it out of ignorance. I trusted someone I shouldn't. I listened to someone I shouldn't. I realize now that I should not have done that. Please, Lord, give me another chance. If Adam had said that, you would not be born into sin. But as soon as your parents start talking to you and helping you to organize your universe, you organize it in a sinful manner by picking and choosing subjectively. What you think and feel and desire are what's most important to you. And sure, your parents may use the Bible to try and teach you morality and teach you to make the right choices, but you're doing it the wrong way and for the wrong reason. And that's the problem. 
In order to discern the objective method for decision-making recommended to us by God, you need to read the Bible for content. It is not listed the way Deuteronomy 30 tells us that we have a choice to make. We can choose life or we can choose death. God told us we had free will. We had that choice. And we needed to make it. All right, well, it seems we have a caller, so my screen's not up. Hi, Mary. Hi. God bless you. Thank you. I was always taught the Bible is instruction before leaving earth. Yes. And we needed to study it to show thyself the truth of the Lord. Right. We were to study the Bible to show ourselves approved of the Lord, a workman that need not be ashamed. That's correct. And that's what our whole family was based on. We had the picture of the Last Supper, and we worshipped that in truth. And we all had to work, all nine of us, and we were never allowed to disrespect our elders. We would always look forward at them and acknowledge their presence and respect them. My parents were business people. Mary, could you please turn the radio down in the background? That's you. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Hold on. Could you please turn the radio down in the background? Yes. That's you. I know. Thank you. Yes. So go ahead. You were telling me about your upbringing, your religious upbringing? Yes, of course. And the point is, we all were very blessed children. The Lord says gifts. He gives us many gifts. It's plural. So many of our family were athletes. I was not that. But we all, you know, won awards in different areas. All of us. For swimming, for skating. You know, my sister... And, you know, they did marvelous things. But point is that we know where we're going, and it's not here. And one time I read Psalm 1919, and that's such hit home with me. I am a stranger on this earth. I'm just passing through. And I remember going to um, the officers, and Smith Road, and these guys were marvelous. But I was very upset because at the airport, they were treating our gentlemen coming home from the war with great disrespect. And he concurred with me. He says, Mary Grace, you know that we live in this world only for a short time. And we're going to get that kind of, you know. I was just very upset because they disrespected our soldiers. No matter where they fight, they must be respected. Well, Mary Grace, I, I appreciate that. And I want to mention something to you, though, that you said that we are only here for a short time. And I want people to understand that while we are here, no matter how short the time, we have work to do. Amen. And that work is to make our brothers and sisters aware of the fact that we are not responding to... God's efforts as we should. Um, and that's the problem. And I don't mean to you don't understand, but this is what I stand for. And I'm going to do the National Day of Prayer again on the square. We must stand up. And the very first time that we did it, I paid $250 for a plane to go overhead. And it said, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And we had the Jesus March. And we were right there on the square, and we read the Bible, and I hope it will happen again. May 6th, the National Day of Prayer, we'll have a podium and a speaker, and many people will present their churches. We have to stand up for our Lord, as He does for us. And we do, and we've done many good things for the Lord, and we pay attention to our neighbors' needs also, because if you don't, 
Well, Mary Grace, I want you to understand that um, when Jesus was here, he said he was the Son of Man. He did not claim to be the Son of God for a very good reason. He was sent to us the way prophets were sent to the Jews from our own people. And he was sent to the rest of humanity by God to wake them up to the fact that they were not doing things as they should. And the New Testament has an awful lot of good stuff in it, um, and we will go through that. But I want to, I'm going to um, hang up now, but I want you to keep listening because we're going to go through some of the problems that uh, we have um, on this earth. Thank you, Mary Grace. Bye-bye. So, as Mary Grace said, she spent a life being obedient. And to her parents and their view, and to the religious people that were informed her in her life, and um, most of them, I'm sure, did what they felt was right. And that's a lot of the problem, because... If we do what we think is right and feel is right, we may get closer, but until we're doing what God tells us to do, then we're not close enough. So I'm going to continue simply because I want you to understand the objective method for decision-making. That's what we call it, all right? God told us, to use his knowledge, not belief, but his knowledge of our ability to see succeed as the single, unshakable, never-shifting foundation we would need to build a civilization that would house and protect us as we worked toward adulthood. It's very important. He even gave us cornerstones. The first or main cornerstone is logic. John 1.1 starts off telling everybody that the entire creation is built on logic, on reality, on things being real and dependable and working and that we are to use that to understand who we are and what we are and why we are here on earth. The second cornerstone is reason. We're supposed to use reason to manipulate logic in such a way that we get answers to the questions we have. Then we use the third cornerstone, which is wisdom to see if those answers are supported by reality. When God came to us, he said that I am the Lord. We call him God because the Israelites asked him to be their God as part of the covenant that they made with him, and he agreed to do that. But he never quit being our Lord. We call him God because we look to him but he serves us. That's hard for people to understand. He's there holding reality open for us in hopes that we will work to join him. So the fourth cornerstone, of course, is one that we were supposed to come up with on our own and didn't. So Jesus had to tell us what it was. And the fourth cornerstone is love. You cannot do this, and you cannot truly succeed unless your brother succeeds as well. That narrow gate that you may enter will widen the more people you pull through it. And that's our job, to get people to understand that God wants us to succeed, but he cannot grow up for us 
And there is a minimum bar that we need to meet. And the only way that we'll be able to do that is by using the Bible and the instructions and directions in there to overcome evil. All right, we're going to take a short break now, and I will come back and explain that, and we will step off the map. Swamp, fake news, racist hats. Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all, true-life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll You'll be be the the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back from break. This is T.A., and we are uh, halfway through um, our March 16th show, and we're recapping a a year of pandemic here on the Writing is on the Wall broadcast. We went through the four cornerstones of um, the building that God wanted us to make. He urged us to use his knowledge of us, not belief. His knowledge of us as the foundation, the unshakable, never-shifting foundation that we would need. He gave us cornerstones to build on. We need to build a civilization. And for the internal pillars... He gave us the Ten Commandments. So with the cornerstones, which again are logic, reason, wisdom, and love, and the foundation to set those cornerstones on, God's knowledge of us, and the Ten Commandments as the internal support pillars, we built a civilization here in the United States, that has lasted until recently when we started to tear down the Ten Commandments. And that's a problem. But we're going to find out why that problem exists. The Apostle Paul flat out told us who our enemy is and who controls the world we live in. In Ephesians 2, 2. Now, Paul is human, and he was bragging about his success. 
so many people were being converted, were coming over. The things that he was telling them lifted the veil from their eyes the way I'm trying to do now. And they could see that the Bible was speaking directly to them, that was meant for them. They weren't listening to it from someone else. They were reading it on their own, and they were getting the information. So the fact that Paul was bragging, I think we can forgive him for. Although God has very famously said, there's only one thing that children of God should brag about, and that is that we understand what he has done for us and that his justice is for us. That's Jeremiah 9.24, one of my favorites. But Paul, in Ephesians 2.2, said exactly who was the prince of the world. Evil is the ruler of the powers of the air. Now, in the common Jewish Bible, Ephesians 2.2 says, You walked in the ways of the Olam Hazet and obeyed the ruler of the powers of the air, who is still at work among the disobedient. Now, it's been, quote-unquote, cleaned up in more modern translations, but they're passing over a lot. The powers of the air we today call the media. It is the media's sensibilities that govern public discourse and influences everything you see and think. Remember just a few minutes ago when I told you that if you didn't use the Bible and you continued to use subjective decision-making inputs, that all anybody would have to do would be to control those inputs? That's exactly what the media is doing. And the reason they're doing it is because evil is the ruler of the powers of the air which was written about 2,000 years ago for us by Paul. They knew it. But when we brought it forward, we, instead of saying the Olam Hazeh, we said the world. And that's the way just about every English translation prints it. You used to live like people of this world. Well, now it's true that the short form of Alam Heza means this world, but it's in the context of there being several different eons or worlds, and this being the middle one. And this middle one, according to the Jewish scholars of that time, was supposed to last about 6,000 years, or six millennia. Now, we consider millennia to be exactly a thousand years because we count base 10. But if you do it the old way and it's base 2 to the 10th power, it's a thousand twenty-four per millennia. So whether they were right and we only have about six times 1,024, according to them, since the moment that Adam's body was transfigured by being downloaded into with a human soul. Oh yeah, that's not in your Bible, is it? It's been sifted out. When I was a kid... The term was quickened. You don't see that term anymore. And that's because written word is a media. And we know who the ruler of the powers of the air is, don't we?
So the problem is that evil is overseeing everything we think and say and do and making our choices for us. Oh, we still have choices. You can have from column A or from column B. Unfortunately, both of those choices were chosen for you, like Democrat or Republican. We have to, as people of God, think outside the box. And because we haven't, we're in deep trouble. Now, I don't know how much longer we have to get with the program, but I think we all collectively realize that the time is shorter than it was 100 years ago. If for no other reason than the post-apocalyptic movies are showing up now in stories. They didn't happen 100 years ago. They're happening now. As a matter of fact, it's about every sixth movie. So I'm going to read you two other examples of the Ephesians 2.2. 2. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. Do you need it to be any clearer than that? That is the Common English Bible translation of Ephesians 2.2. 2. You used to live like people of this world, meaning everyone. Everyone who was uh, ever born after Adam, raised by a loving parent, gone to church and work and scouts and everything else, that entire panoply of influences that was on your life, well-intentioned though may they may have been, sinned every day without realizing it because they were going against God's order. And his order is reality, not subjective perception. And he gave us the way to build our lives objectively. Now, we do not have, and I mentioned this last week, we do not have the speech that Jesus gave. But thank goodness, John, who was Jesus' BFF, knew that it was important enough to Jesus that he at least carried in his book the conversation afterwards with Nicodemus. When Nicodemus was saying, oh my, what you're asking is just too hard to rethink our entire lives and to try and build them up from objective knowledge rather than from the understanding that we have. And Jesus told him, yes, it's like being born again. But you cannot get close to God unless you do this. Didn't say will not. Didn't say probably or maybe. Said cannot. You cannot get close to God unless you build your life this way. <clears throat> now, it may be easier for younger people, and I will try and get a ministry started for younger people, but we all need to do this. I did this. It was not easy. And there's still some parts of my life that I find myself making decisions without asking, what would Jesus do? Jesus understood what it was that God wanted. He structured his life in the way that God wanted, in the way that God wanted for man, because Jesus was the Son of Man. 
And it's recorded that way in the Bible very purposely. And the only one that accused him of being, of saying that he was the Son of God, were those who were trying to persecute him and crucify him. And they did. But he told us he was the Son of Man. He was created to help show man the way to getting back to God. But every time we listen to another human tell us, oh no, what he really meant, no, that wasn't work. When I'm telling you these things, I do not want you to believe what I tell you. I want you to go look it up in the Bible and work at it until you understand that this is the way God wanted it. If you take any kind of information from me, it's only as a recommendation. The actual structure has to come from you, and you have to make the effort. So the contemporary, or the common, complete, pardon me, complete Jewish Bible translation of Ephesians 2.2 is you walked in the ways of the Olam Hazeh and obeyed the ruler of the powers of the air, who is still at work among the disobedient. Folks, in case you're not aware of it, the disobedient have given themselves another name these days. They call themselves progressives or liberals. They mock God, and they mock those who love God. And even if you love God but don't follow his instructions, you will be just as lost as the mockers. We have to follow the instructions God left for us in the Bible. That's all there is to it. There is no substitute. Throwing yourself on the mercy of God only works if you follow his instructions. So the final translation that I've got for you this evening is the contemporary English version, which is the modern one. And you'll see what the first two have evolved into. You followed the ways of this world, which is true, that's what Olam Hazeh is, but it gives you no context, and obeyed the devil. And that's putting it straight. He rules the world, and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. You can't make it any clearer than that. Unless you're obedient to what God has told you to do, which is to structure your life so that you can live and continue on finally to meeting God, then you will fail. No matter how nice you are, how good you treat people around you, how much money you dedicate to religious causes, none of that counts. We might like for it to count because it's easier than actually challenging ourselves. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it will not work. So those were the things that I came up with during the pandemic. So <clears throat> I'm sure that you had several things that uh, you did during the pandemic. I got into the Bible more because I had a lot of time. And I've been trying to, to understand exactly what is in the Bible since December of 2013. Oh, I tried before, but I listened to other people. But in December, 13, December of 2013, <clears throat> when the killings at Sandy Hook were characterized to me by the powers of the air as a problem with guns, rather than was a problem with evil, then I knew that something was wrong, that I could no longer follow my fellow humans who responded to 
the powers of the air. I did not know that Paul had called them out in Ephesians 2.2 as being the mark of evil. I didn't find that out until just recently. But I knew that they were wrong, which is why I went back into the Bible and started reading it. Not just for the words, not just for the ideas, but for the structure. And that is the thing that we discussed last week, and that is the four, and I do mean four, if I can find it here, the four different ways that the Bible, the four methods that the Bible, or I guess levels, that the Bible is um, organized under. And I don't have it with me, of course. So I'm going to, oh no, I do. Put back there, pardon me. So the first level is the one that we are the most familiar with, and it's the good idea level. This is the topical or self-help level of information stored in the Bible. Deuteronomy 30 says, and elsewhere in Deuteronomy, it says, we will not have to send anyone to heaven to ask what it is that God wants of us because it is written here for all to read. And that is that you will come up to the time when you will need to make the decision to choose life or to choose death. I will urge you to choose life. Now, what you need to get to the point where you can make that informed decision is the objective manner of decision-making that God outlined in the Bible, but he did not put it, or at least I can't find it, in a point-by-point basis. But I've gone through the foundation, which is written in the Bible, the cornerstones, which are written in the Bible, and the Ten Commandments, which is also written in the Bible. It's just not all put together in one place that this is what you need to do to create a civilization. But we did it. Even though it wasn't all in one place, we put it together and we built the United States of America. The good idea level is what sounds good, like do unto others, or walk humbly with your God. They sound good. They're not really necessarily actionable. They are good, but they're, they don't get to the bottom of the problem. The societal level is the one where we do things not only for ourselves and because they sound good, but because they're good for everybody. Not just us, but for other humans. And this is the societal level. This is the Ten Commandments level. This is where why we create a civilization capable of functioning and protecting us and housing us and feeding us as we continue on in our life, hopefully getting closer to God. And we know how to do that now. Then there's the investigative level. These are the words and phrases reported in context between one human trying to explain to another human what they heard. Unfortunately, understanding is not always included in this. Just hearing. So also included in this level are words and concepts not reported, like the speech Jesus gave, which is not in any of the Gospels, not in the that we have in our Bible or in the other 11 that we don't. But it was important enough that John included it when, he, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about what they had, he had discussed. Unfortunately, it would be easier for us if it was actually listed there, but it's not. That's okay. It's our job to work and discover it not just to pass it up. And then the fourth level is structure. God prepared the peoples 
caused the events and had them recorded for humans so we would have them at our decision time, which we now know is here in the 21st century. Humanity's opportunity offered to them by God is a pass-fail opportunity, just like the Jews experienced following the Exodus. And if we Christians, who are God's children by choice, fail, the opportunity may be offered onward elsewhere, or it may not. We don't know. So the top three questions we have to continually ask ourselves as we're studying the Bible is, who are we, what are we, and why are we here on earth? The top two questions we should ask about God is, what does God want, and why does he want it? Jeremiah 9.24 is a good place to find both of those. But God loves us so much that he came to us as our Lord, not as the creator, the be-all and end-all. He came to us as our Lord, saying the truth. Well, Jesus is the one who actually said it, and we got it recorded. The truth will set you free, but, but you have to understand that you have to use the information I gave you to walk Towards me. I will never cut you off. Only you can cut you off. But you can cut yourself off from me. And right now, there is a film between us and God. And we need to break through that film. Well, folks, it's about time. My time's about up. I'll come back next week. But remember, read the Bible and follow the instructions you find. Thank you so much. This is T.A. getting ready to sign off here at 1220 The Word.